Welcome back to another episode of the Just Check In podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. with Anata and chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. Any friend of Friend of the Pod, Buck Angel, is a friend of mine, and when he recommended a podcast guest for me to contact, I sent her a DM straight away. Ashley Bell is a trans woman and advocate who has recently entered this space, hence why Buck is so keen to champion her. Ashley served 19 years in the US military and left active service in 2016. She's since rejoined in a non-active role to balance her civilian life and her military life. She made the decision to transition in her mid-40s. Ashley started experiencing gender dysphoria when she was around six or seven years old and believes transitioning was the best choice for her to make. She says she has never been more comfortable with her body and mind than right now. In this episode, we discuss her journey to transition and experience of gender dysphoria. While she believes trans people must be comfortable with their biological sex in order to be comfortable with their transition and to live a healthy and happy life. We talk about why she's not offended if someone sexes her as male or female, what is happening in US schools when it comes to gender awareness and why she was ostracised from parts of the LGBT community in her hometown because she is a conservative and voted for previous president Donald Trump. I love talking to people with all sorts of different views, belief systems and values and Ashley is certainly an example of that. And That's why I'm so excited to have this conversation with her. So this is how my conversation with Ashley Bell went. Ashley, welcome to the Just Checking Pod. As my intro stated, a friend of Buck Angel is very much a friend of mine. So I was so pleased that he connected me with you. How are you getting on? I'm doing actually pretty good. I just got over a flu. Oh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. That has been a bit hit and miss in the UK. So I've, I've had hay fever on one day and then I've been very cold and miserable the next day. So it's classic UK weather over here. <laughs> Same over here right now. (laughs) (laughs) I've not yet interviewed a trans member of the military or ex-member of the military at one point you were, Ashley. So I'm really excited to learn more about your journey and your perspectives on life. So without further delay, are you ready to start the show? I absolutely am. Let's kick off the pod by talking about your mental health journey, Ashley. So I start all my podcasts with this question for my special guests. Take me back to early life, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you had? Who's the Ashley we meet here? Well, the Ashley you meet today is 46-year-old Ashley. I would have to say that I felt different around the age of five or six years old. And what I mean by difference is like interesting things that I would say other boys would take interest in things for some reason. I mean, I didn't know at the time. I was too young to understand what was going on. But my mom can relate back to when I was young about that age of playing with my cousin's Barbie dolls or an interest in like women's clothing or for something like that. Of course, when I was that young, I had no idea what was going on. (laughs) It wasn't until I would say later or closer to my 20s, I started figuring out almost what was going on. I lived a very perfectly normal boyish life. I was into hunting, four-wheeling, mudding, shooting guns, everything. But at the same time, Freddie, it was always in the back of my mind, or sometimes really in a very forefront. Why is it that when I looked in the mirror, it doesn't match? what I feel and what I think. A good majority is from up in in your head, but there is a part of you that it's in your heart too, that for some reason you don't feel nor match what you see in the mirror. Mm. You were experiencing gender dysphoria in the 1980s, Ashley, and this was a time when homosexuality was still pretty taboo and pretty mocked in mainstream society, let alone gender dysphoria. So how did you navigate that through adolescence and then into your 20s, as you said? Oh, God. Well, like I said, I mean, growing up as a child and knowing that something 
was different about me, but not known exactly what, you know, you kind of just had to deal with it. Nor did you want to come out at the time, because again, it was very taboo. And society in general was against that stuff. So I didn't show it. Mm. I really like pushed it down deep to make sure that nobody saw that side of me. Mm. And like I said, it wasn't until my 20s, I started doing my own research and trying to figure out why is it that I like these things? Why is it I don't like these other things that other boys like? And why is it I'm feeling certain ways about things? I did my own research and my research really started like, I would have to say around my college years, because I started going to college in 96 and Google was just coming out and I did my research, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. (laughs) So that's basically how it started. Mm -hmm. Just doing my own research on my own self. Mm. Tell me briefly now about your military service. Now, I know you can't talk specifically about where you were stationed and things like that, and we cleared that when we spoke off air, but why did you originally have that desire to enlist in the first place? I've always wanted to serve for my country, always. I'm a very patriotic person. As a matter of fact, I have a tattoo. You can partially see the wings mm-hmm. of the bald eagle, and then the lower half of my stomach to my side is the American flag. I feel like I've always needed to serve my country and the people that live here for our liberty, for our freedom, for our protection, for everything. Going through the military lifestyle as knowing like what was going on in my head and my heart was very rough. Of course, you know, you don't want to ever show weakness. And that to me, if anybody ever knew that about me was a form of weakness. So that was not very easy at all. (laughs) to hide. There was times I wanted to come out, but knew at the time in my earlier career where it was a don't ask, don't tell. So if they don't find out, you're safe. But at that time, if they did find out, you could face being kicked out. Mm. But I mean, obviously the policies have changed over the past decade. Now, when I got out in 2016 of active duty, that is, I was out for a year. And then I rejoined, not active duty, but I rejoined in the guards. And I've been in the guards ever since. So I'm actually still in. I'm just a traditional guardsman is what they call it. Mm. I've came out, obviously, to them about last summer. They've accepted me, but definitely still, how do I say this, a little frowned upon Mm -hmm. in the military, you could say, but more acceptable. Mm -hmm. So... What I could say about that is people that I used to talk to on a daily basis all the time over there don't really talk to me much anymore. It's sad, but it is what it is. I have plenty of other friends around in the world. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's mostly been my experience in the military as far as holding it down Mm. and not letting anybody know. It's because it was still frowned upon Mm. at the time. And then what skills or experiences did military service give you because you did serve for 19 years in active duty and what impact did that have on your mental health given what you said about having that desire to serve your country oh god the best because not only how my parents brought me up being strong strong strong-minded and basically sticking up for anything that I felt was right the military did that for me too because in my old career field it was about you know, you had to get the mission done. The mission always came first. So in the hours that I used to work, 16, 18 hour days, nonstop, out in the pouring sweat heat, that was in Okinawa, Japan for 10 years of my service. I mean, you're on a flight line, constant in the heat. You had to be mentally strong, not only physical, but you had to be mentally strong as well. So that helped me with my transition as far as thinking I had to push forward. Like if I really wanted to go through this change in my life, I had to reassure in my own mind, in my own heart, that this is who I am. And if this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life, that I had to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Sorry. <laughs> um, because you don't want to lose family. You don't want to lose friends. You don't want the world to think differently of you just because the fact that you are trans. Um, because my beliefs and values never changed. 
So to kind of get back to your question, mentally, it prepared me well mm. to push through everything mm. that transition consists mm. of. Taking hormones, how it's going to change your emotions, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> and just how the world's going to look at you. Mm. You spoke there about the transition from military to civilian life, and that's something that I find really interesting because I think a lot of military personnel, when they go into civilian life, sometimes do struggle with that transition, no pun intended. And I think probably for, for a couple of reasons, and I'm sure you could provide some expert opinion on this, is I think, A, the trauma that a lot of them go through on tours and the pain and the loss they might experience that they find really hard to unlock and perhaps PTSD as well. And I think, B, that the way that, I'm sure military service can institutionalize you into a way of life that's very jarring to come out of. Would you say that's fair? And, and how did you adjust to it? I would have to agree with that 110%. And the reason why I would say that, Freddie, is because I didn't join the military until I was the age of 27. So I was already a civilian on my own for 10 years, working in the civilian sector, living on my own, my own place, everything. And then joining the military. So when I got out of active duty, I was like, I should be okay. You know, when I got out, I should be all right. I've done this before. No. It's exactly what you said. It's almost in a way, they don't necessarily institutionalize you. They don't necessarily brainwash you. It's just a way of life in the yes. military is what you're used to. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. And it's not necessarily a good thing either. Because when you come out, it's a different ballgame. And rolling back into the civilian sector, a lot of things can set you aside in difference mentally, distant work ethics in the way of life, mm. how you view life, um, how you view things differently. It really does. When I joined a, you know, it was a reamer division that made drill bits, basically, I was just super fast at what I was doing. I was like, I need to get it done. I need to get it done. I need to get it done. But that's not how it needed to be done. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so it, it works good in some ways. But another way, for me, I was always on alert. I was always aware of what's going on around me. Whenever I walk into some place, like, you're taking note mentally, like, who's in here? What are they doing here? It's small things, but it's big things. And in some ways, I'm still kind of like that. I've calmed down over the years. <laughs> But it's definitely true. You have a different work ethics. You have a different perspective on life. And you still are very patriotic. As far as I can tell with me, I'm very patriotic. I'm very loyal to my country. And it's allies too, actually. Even like the British, like they are our best friends. And I've seen those guys go through just as much as we gone through. You know, every country does. And so you can share that pain. You can share those memories. You can share those stories. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that transition process now, because you said your desire to transition really increased after you left the military. And I can certainly understand that, given what you've said about having to hide that and the environment of don't ask, don't tell, which you were in for a long period. So similar question as joining the military. What was the spark for starting the social transition and then obviously the medical transition afterwards? So while I was in the military, like I've always thought about transitioning, and, and but at the time, obviously, I couldn't because of the different policies that, that were not in place yet. Unfortunately, those policies were put in place not until after I left active duty by President Trump. So it was already too late for me. <laughs> but when I got out, I was so looking forward to someday, I didn't know when, of possibly transitioning completely. And... It wasn't until, honestly, after President Trump had put those policies in place. Everybody's under the misconception of thinking that President Trump put harder policies in place for people to transition when actually it's not what the policy says. It's about people that are still in service, that they can transition with a few exceptions, and that people that are coming in still have to meet a requirement within their transition prior to coming in. And then I know that the current administration said that they're going to put a new whatever statement policy in there, but they never did. So because of President Trump's policy, because that's the only thing that we have to go by right now, it helped me transition while I'm in the guards. And as you can see, I am fully transitioned. Well, not fully, actually, but almost there. <laughs> so that 
had jump-started me to want to transition completely. But it wasn't necessarily because of the policy. It's because it's this one day, it was really, the way it has been for, let me back up a little bit, the way it has been all my life, Freddie, is that it's constantly there. It's not like it goes a little bit and then it comes back. It's always there. It's just some days are harder to deal with it and some days we're not. And the day that I decided to do it was November of 2020. So the reason I decided to transition is because I was working out one day and that was my way of kind of suppressing it. I was working out down in the gym and it just came over on me really hard and I put the weight down because I couldn't do it anymore. And that was it. I'm like, all right, I need to go seek medical attention. Because I knew seeking a therapist, a psychologist, I wanted to reassure that what I'm feeling is truly what I'm feeling and thinking. In some places like California, you walk in, 20 minutes later, you're prescribed hormones, which is a big problem, I don't know about around the world, but obviously here in the States. And that's why we have tens of thousands of detransitioners. If you obviously spoken to Buck Angel about it, he's big on that. So is Blair White. And now I'm big on that too. It's a problem in our society. And that's why I wanted to make sure I did the right steps. Mm. By seeing a psychologist, talking to my primary doctor, and asking a bunch of questions, and digging up my history. I mean, they're not going to sit there and just like, are you sure? No. They will ask, random questions to get the answers that they're looking for and to make sure that you are ready for this transition because you don't want to go through your transition and something comes up and it flips Mm. on you. (laughs) No, exactly. You're right. Yes. When it comes to the social transition, Ashley, on the one hand, what challenges or adjustments did you have to make so the people around you or, or being around females felt comfortable And also, on the other hand, are there any privileges that you now experience as a trans woman that you didn't have whilst you presented (laughs) as male? (laughs) So there's a few privileges, yes. But yeah, we'll start off as far as the social adjustment. Obviously, when looking in the mirror, like I still see the old me in some ways. I'm going to nitpick certain things about me. But out in the open, out in society, just in general... I've honestly had a good experience. I haven't really had any negativity really too much. I am a bodybuilder. So there is that aspect of where other men or other women will look at me and be like, is that a dude or is that a girl? (laughs) You know, (laughs) or is it just a really bodybuilder woman? Mm -hmm. So I've had that a lot, actually, where women are like, oh, my God, you know, you look fabulous as a bodybuilder. I'm thinking that you're a bodybuilder. I'm like, yes, I'm a bodybuilder. But they never catch on that I'm a transsexual woman until I tell them. Like I said, you're always on alert and always aware. And so thankfully the military has kind of prepared me for that in a way because I kind of just have to put the blinds on Mm -hmm. and just not worry about what everybody's thinking. You still kind of worry a little bit. Privileges. Uh... Men opening the doors for me. Um, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's a new one. That, I mean, it's great. Um, what did you do with the first time that happened? Was it quite jarring? Yes, it really was. I didn't know what to think. I'm like, um, I, that, that's exactly what I, how I respond. I'm like, um, okay, thank you. <laughs> and the guys, well, of course, ladies first. I'm like, yeah, well, only you knew. <laughs> So, again, it's great. And then some instances, like, because I'm also a crew chief in the Air Force, so I work on fighter jets. So I have a good wealth of knowledge in the mechanics world. So when over here, like, going someplace to get oil or oil filter for my car, I'll be looking through the catalog, looking at the serial number, stuff like that. And the guy will ask me, are you sure this is what it is? I'm like, I'm absolutely sure. Like, well, let's just take a look at your car. I'm like, oh, God. So there's that kind of like, you know, something that women kind of get over here. They don't always necessarily know what they're talking about or looking for. Whereas me, as I do, and I want to say because I'm a biological male, but it's just because I have 
knowledge. <laughs> you worked on jets. World. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I work on fighter jets. I, I kind of know what's going on. <laughs> so just kind of like the guy that I'm seeing too, we've been seeing each other for six months. Like he was replacing the brakes on my car for me, even though I know how to do it. And I pointed something out. <laughs> He's like, that's it. Just go in the house. Like, leave me alone. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, you know, the flip side of being a trans woman, mm. living the life as a woman as possible. Yeah. But I will always consider myself a biological male. Mm-hmm. Always. Just because there's no getting around mm. that. When it comes to the medical transition, this is obviously the biggest step that trans people can take, Ashley. So what steps did you take here? I know that you've taken one called uh, Diamond Glow, which you posted on your Instagram, which I, you had to explain what that was to me when I, when I talked about it. So tell me about the things that you've taken here and what impacts have they had on physical and mental health? So obviously the first step that you want to do as far as if you're thinking about transitioning is seeing a psychologist for mental reasons. To reassure that what you're thinking and what you're feeling is truly what it is and to dig up anything in the past that might come up later. Next step is where you're gaining a couple letters from the therapist, uh, psychologist, to pass on to your primary doctors, so that way they can prescribe you the appropriate hormones for transitioning, and then later on, if you decide to do any other medical procedures. The diamond glow that you're talking about, that's just a cosmetic thing. Something that even biological women do all the time. There's fillers, there's Botox, there's such thing as like Diamond Glow, what they do. The Diamond Glow is actually just a skin rejuvenation thing that they can do. It's like diamond tips, and it's in this vacuum suction thing of a machine, and they go all over your face with it, and then it shoots like high amounts of the serum back in your skin into the epidermis where it pulls, and then it shoots back in like a high volume of the serum, which has got like vitamin C and other stuff in it. And it just basically clears out your skin a little bit better. Doing a couple sessions of that, I do have filler right here on my cheeks. Not an intense amount. It's called radiance because I don't want the drag look of, you know, trying to look too feminine. I want a natural look. Mm -hmm. So these are all just cosmetic stuff that people can do. I know that some transgenders or transsexuals get hated on because people will say that, oh, you know, you're fake, whatever, whatnot. You're getting all this filler and Botox stuff. But what they forget to think about is that biological and biological men do it as well. Mm-hmm. It's no different. Yeah. So I just do that to kind of keep up clearing my skin because mm-hmm. I don't want my skin to go back. Understood. <laughs> Thankfully, you've not had any negative side effects from medical transition, which isn't something, you know, loads of people can say, Ashley. However, what you did say, which I found really interesting, is that you said to me, when you've gone through it, it feels like you're going through puberty again, and you're basically relearning yourself. So can you unpack that for me? Yes. Transitioning on hormones, hormone replacement therapy is a slow transition. So it is kind of like going through puberty again. And they do tell you that, but you never really think, oh, okay, we'll just see how that works. No, it's really true. And the reason why is because, you know, your emotions change. Your outlook on some things kind of change. I see a puppy dog walking by and I'm like, and now my heart and my eyes are like, oh my God, he's so adorable. Like I want to pet it forever. It's so true. Or I'm watching a TV show and something drastic just happened and I start crying. Like, why am I crying? I noticed that the first couple of times I'm like, I never used to be that sensitive, (laughs) but now I am. And your skin, like certain things start changing about your body, your skin, your eyes, definitely your hair starts changing. Not mentally too much. It does vary between people. Now for me, I think that the way I've kept myself under control as far as if I let stress get to me, I work out. I work out. I keep my mind occupied with things. Like I'm always busy with work. I'm busy with being an athlete. I'm busy with kind of the military. I'm busy with my dog. (laughs) So I have a lot of things keeping me busy to give me the positive reaction of transitioning. Mm. And so negatively, it hasn't been 
all that there. Mm -hmm. Positively, it has been there for me. So through puberty, yes, you are going through puberty again, as far as like your emotions, as far as your body changing, getting used to like the new you basically, because you are changing mentally and in here as well and physically. So you're taking on that every day. Mm. Now you've almost fully transitioned as you said you said to me off air that you've never been more comfortable with your body so are you as comfortable in your mind too who's the ashley we meet now uh ashley i meet now is the ashley i think that's been waiting for all my life at first i wasn't sure of course i didn't know what to expect when i started my transition i am very thankful that i did i am absolutely 110% comfortable in my body and my mind and my heart. I would never detransition. But the reason for that is because I feel like I've gone through the proper steps of transitioning. It wasn't forced upon me like they're trying to do now with our kids in schools. I'm totally against that, being taught to our kids in schools. That's no place for a teacher to be giving those lessons to kids. If you don't mind me speaking on that a little bit Mm -hmm. real quick. This is not something that can be taught. This is something that grows with you internally, mentally, and in your heart as a person, as an individual, not as a group, not what they're trying to make it to be. What you see nowadays, um, it seems like more like a trend. You see a lot of people coming out this just plain and simply saying that they are a trans girl or trans guy, but they're not doing anything medically about it. They're just saying that they are. That I'm against. And the reason why is because if you're not taking the necessary steps to actually transition, you're not transitioning. I feel like they just keep doing this because they have a different agenda that they're trying to go after. Not sure what that is yet. If you've seen Buck Angel's recent stories online, how he feels. I talk to Buck almost daily offline where we should separate the transgenders and transsexuals because we are totally different. Because transsexuals being that we've gone through the medical transition of this. And we're not just saying that we are trans girl or trans guy. We have actually gone through the medical process of this. And it's not something easy mm. at all. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to we'll talk about that in more depth in a little bit, Ashley. So just reflecting on your mental health journey, as a final question, what has it taught you about yourself? And if you could go back and talk to the six or seven-year-old Ashley who was experiencing that gender dysphoria and not feeling like the other boys or the Ashley who was about to enter the military as that fresh-faced 20-something or the Ashley (laughs) who was considering medically transitioning, what would you say to her knowing what you do now? I would say to her back then, or him actually, is that look forward to the future. Do nothing about it now. Live your life as you are and enjoy it as a boy. I regret nothing living my life as a boy. Nothing. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, I'll give my old name out there. My old name is Wayne. I regret nothing about living my life as Wayne, as a boy. Because if it wasn't for living my life as Wayne, I wouldn't be here as Ashley. And I know a lot of people say that, you know, well, don't you regret living your life as that? I'm like, no, not at all. I wouldn't change a thing. So... My message to Ashley back then, but Wayne, is live your life and enjoy your life as Wayne as much as you possibly can, but look in the future where you have something else coming up. We talked about your mental health journey, Ashley. I want to talk about the work you do in the trans advocacy space or the online space, however you want to call it. So firstly, why did you decide to get into this and what inspired you? What really inspired me was because of what we are seeing right now, as far as in the United States, I don't know exactly what's going on in the European side, but honestly, what we call the cultural wars. And within the LGBT community itself, it's really breaking up among everybody, not just in the trans community, but also in the gay Mm. and lesbian and queer. You did a a video on this the other day, didn't you? I found that really interesting. Yes. Arielle Saracella, Mm -hmm. she is... Another big popular lesbian woman that's out there that is also getting her voice and heard. Because what's going on as far as like trans community, like I said earlier, you got people out there just stating that, hey, I'm a girl. 
hey, I'm a boy. No, if they're a biological male, they're saying that, no, I'm still a woman. I've always been a woman. But they don't do anything medically to transition. So they're just going around and just saying that they're a girl, they're a boy. Also within the sports athletes, you heard about Leah Thompson. I just read an article on her yesterday. I don't agree with it. But besides that, how she's an NCAA swimming, she's taken first a good few handful of times. I'm against stuff like that. I'm an athlete. I wasn't competing professionally in CrossFit, but I was about to. But I decided to drop out back in January. And the reason for that is because even though I have a coach that is training me and as far as my diet and my training goes, even though I've lost 30 pounds during my transition, and even though that my testosterone levels are through the floor, my numbers in weightlifting has still skyrocketed. Now, maybe that is due to my training and my nutrition, but you can't deny the fact that I'm a biological male with more muscle mass, more muscle connective tissue, bigger bone structure, more solid in that as well. Mm. So you can't deny those things. And I know like that's a big thing among some of the far leftists would say is like, no, 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 that doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with it. I'm like, well, actually, yes, it does. It has a big like disadvantage to biological women. And that's why I decided to drop out of CrossFit because until there's a separate category for trans women, trans men, then I might think about joining. And I feel like that's when I needed to like start speaking out because this whole Leah Thompson thing was just getting out of hand. And the stuff that you see on TikTok nowadays, like I just saw something like a week ago. I think you saw a video that I will be having coming out this week where these transgender or transsexual women are saying that they're pregnant. It blows my mind because I'm like, that's not even physically possible. Mm. It's not physically possible. The yeah. only time that it's been possible was back in 1930s. I think it was the first transsexual woman. They did a uterus implant on her and she only had only survived for three months afterwards. There's a new study coming out, I guess, in India where a doctor is going to try that procedure again. <sighs> but since then, there's been no procedures done since then. All these people on TikTok saying that they're transsexual or transgender and that they're pregnant are just fakes. They're complete fakes. That's the problem. So the image that they're putting out there, the signs that they're putting out there, this is why we have a problem within our community and we have a problem as far as in politics because the leftists are like, keep pushing the agenda that transgender women or men are the same as women or men when biologically we are not like yes i'm a transsexual woman but i will always forever be a biological male whereas in the right they're, they're just fighting a good fight saying like no that's not true basically what this is creating it's creating a divide of course i feel like that's what the leftists want but the bigger problem is it's within the community itself mm. when that whole LGBT community way back a couple decades, or well, actually four decades ago, was about just human rights in general and about accepting anybody and everybody, no matter who you loved or what you were. And engagement um, and working with people and yeah, they weren't them. really yeah, yeah. they weren't really worried about politics as much. Now I feel like it's all about politics. Mm. They're really engaged with the government. They're all about donating money to certain organizations that I don't agree with. And really, I feel like this whole Pride Month, I don't even celebrate Pride Month. And the reason is because when I see them parading around the city or town or whatever, being more than three quarters naked and throwing things up in the air, doing things in public where children should not see is totally against my beliefs and values. And now they're teaching it in schools. So really, where is this going? Mm. So I had to speak up. Mm. I had to speak up. I had to start speaking to people that are going to hear my voice, but also get my voice out there. Mm. You're really passionate. And so is Buck. And so the other trans people I've spoken to about, you know, accepting your biological reality, accepting your biological sex. And I just want to ask you, if you hadn't 
done that or didn't have this attitude, do you think it would have made your transition harder or your ability to maybe move through the world in peace too and, and engage other people who might not be as educated as yourself about trans? I feel like I've gotten some pretty good compliments actually on some of my videos and I've gotten some negative ones, of course. Um, <laughs> you're going to have those. But the good definitely are outnumbering the bad comments. Actually, there's one that I like to speak about. There's a woman where her son is 16 years old and has been feeling like he might possibly be transgender. And she doesn't really know where to go. But after watching my video, she felt the need to actually help him maybe wait a few more years at least. Of course, I am not a medical professional. I can't encourage it. I can't advise it. But I definitely said, maybe you want to seek medical attention but definitely wait i definitely encourage waiting off so i feel like in some ways i am encouraging parents at least to have a better outlook and to accept their children of who they are or might be becoming mm. because i'm not against anybody that feels like they might be transgender or becoming transsexual i'm not against that because i mean look at me. So I'm not going to be against that. I'm just against it happening to kids under the age of 18, at least, because I feel like you need to enjoy your child and your teenage years. Also, when you're a teenager, you don't still fully comprehend everything going on in the world or even your own body. So yes, I feel like it encourages, but others that it disencourages are mostly from the left. I've been called transphobic. I've actually been banned from two local bars here in St. Louis because the fact that they know that I'm making media about this, that I'm a conservative, that I'm a Trump supporter, that I don't support the leftist LGBTQ ideas. So yeah, you get a little bit of both, but me doing this, I feel like is actually helping. So I'm going to continue on doing this. Excellent. You brought me on to my next question, which is about abuse in the LGBT community. And I think most people from the outside, and certainly the people that I speak to, see it as a very inclusive space where everyone sorts of gets along. And I actually kind of talk to them about this and say there's actually a little bit of a war going on within the LGBT community about all these cultural topics. And a really important thing you said to me, Ashley, off air, is that my political beliefs have nothing to do with me being trans. And what I would say as a question is, would you say that it's actually transphobic for people to believe that all trans people think the same? Yes, because <laughs> a lot of people will automatically assume that just because I am transsexual, that they automatically assume that I fall on the left, which is, as you know, not anywhere near true. So for people to automatically assume would be kind of transphobic in a way. But that's the thing, like, the community is really breaking up. I've spoken to someone that is really hardcore leftist the other day, actually, but we agree on things. So that's the other thing that you will come across. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm hardcore right or hardcore conservative. Like, maybe I'm more moderate conservative than I am moderate liberal. But the fact that I could talk to someone that has a different in politics but we can agree on things. Now, he was saying, he's like, he sees where there's a fight, there's a war going on in our own community as it is. And he's like, I don't agree with people just coming out saying that they're transgender, but they're not really doing anything. He's like, whereas you, you are transsexual. You have been going through the medical process to do this. You are trans. He's like, I don't agree with people over here that are just saying it. That's causing not just a war within but all over the place. Now we have problems with restrooms, restroom issues, like men walking into women's bathrooms. Like I do use the women's bathroom and that's because socially, yes, I look like a woman. I live my life as a woman. And I know some people would be against that, but if I were to walk into a men's bathroom, I'm going to get hated on as well because they're like, well, what the hell's a woman doing in here? <laughs> like, you know, or they're just going to give me the weird stare and be like, why is she in mm -hmm. here? I've actually tried it once just to kind of see my friend dared me to do it. I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. That just feels so weird. But I tried it and immediately I had to turn around because I just got nothing but stares 
<laughs> like everybody stopped and looked at me. I'm like, oh yeah. But see, that's the thing. Like, how do we fix the bathroom mm. issue? The rest is it issue? third spaces? Is do that we... the main solution, or is it something else? I think we do honestly need a third space because if you are just saying that you are transgender, meaning you haven't really gone through the medical process as a woman or a man. And you don't, honestly, I know this is going to sound bad, but if you're not looking the part, you know, it might be best to use a universal restroom. And that's not me hating, that's the fact. But if you look the part, you add the part, and you're going through the medical process, and you're respectful, and you're a good human being, <laughs> then yes, use the respective restroom. You know, that was a big thing in the military too, though. That's a whole other topic. Mm. <laughs> So then let's reflect on this advocacy journey for the time you've been doing it so far, Ashley. What has it taught you about yourself? What have you learned? And, and what do you hope to achieve with it in the future? When I first came out, uh, I was really hoping to have a community that was going to accept me, no matter what my beliefs and my values were. Quickly, though, I found out not too long after a couple months that wasn't true. And so I know that I had to go back to my old roots and just stick with who I am originally, of course, and that is being the conservative that I am, but also still loving the community, loving the people that are part of the LGBTQ, but just not the organization itself. It's definitely taught me that I might not fit into a specific community because of my beliefs and values, but know that there are other people out there just like me. Even on Facebook, where I'm part of a group that is transgender, transsexual conservatives, thousands of us are out there, and we have a lot in common, a lot we can share. And personally, it's also taught me that, you know, I can just live my life as I want now. I cannot regret anything in my past either, and I don't feel like any person that's going through a transition should regret anything in their past, because... The reason why they are where they are at now is because of their past. And I know some people might have a negative past, but that can be turned into a positive because you can learn from those negatives. And that would be my message to other transgender or transsexual people as well. You know, you can learn from your past and turn that into a positive. You have to want it, though, as long as you go through the correct medical steps of getting there. Our final topic of conversation, Ashley, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. It is a general natter and chat about mental health. So first question, how would you say your mental health is at the moment? Amazing. Great. Nothing negative during my transition at all. There's ways to take care of that. Keep your mind busy. <laughs> Excellent. Distraction is always my best port of call for that. And what age do you think you were when you became self-aware of your mental health for the first time? And you realized that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind. Well, like I said, I, I've always felt like this when I was about five or six years old. I wasn't aware of it, of what was going on. I would say around my early 20s is when I became more aware of what was going on and realized that it was more mental mm -hmm. than it was just a heartfelt thing, mm. for sure. And then can you tell me about the first conversation you ever had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say? And did it feel like on the one hand, a big moment or a big burden or weight been lifted off your shoulders? Or on the other hand, did it feel like something quite insignificant, easy and normal to do? So actually, I think this is something we actually never covered. Uh, and I apologize for that, but I'll go through it real quick. So my last ex knew about me, but... She held it well, but at times she used it to abuse me in certain ways as well. So that was not a first good experience mm. for me. I didn't transition at the time, but she just knew that about me. It wasn't until a really good friend of mine, Paul, he's actually a representative of the state of Vermont, that I spoke to him about this the very first time. He kind of coached me and guided me and like, was there for support before I actually came out to my mom. And that was a really good experience for me because he understood he wasn't transgender or anything. He's actually gay um, and he's married to another guy that, that I'm good friends with. And it was really good to have someone that close to support me and to coach me kind of through it. 
that was my first experience talking to somebody about mm. that actually thank you for sharing that i really appreciate it on your triggers then what have you found in life that affect your mental health it could be a sound it could be a sensation it could be a particular social environment something people say to you or have you not figured all of them out yet I don't think I've figured it quite all out, actually. Uh, there's always something new going on. But what I will say, and the reason why, like, what I get done as far as facial-wise is, like, Diamond Glow, skin and laser treatment, those can be triggers for people that are transgender, transsexual, because, you know, the whole point of transitioning is to not look like how you always looked in the mirror. So they can be triggers that will kind of set you in the wrong path sometimes it bothers me but I don't let it really get to me like I said I handle things pretty well I'm a bodybuilder so sometimes it might bother me that I'm a bodybuilder because the social norm of women is to be all petite and model figure how men want to view women sometimes but there's women at my gym biological women that are bodybuilders much more bigger than me <laughs> same <laughs> um, I've got I go to a bodybuilder gym and that's exactly the same experience <laughs> yeah but they're gorgeous they're beautiful and I had this one woman tell me this one bodybuilder she's a pro actually she used to be in this really bad relationship where the guy that she was with was totally against her working out that way didn't like it would abuse her and really bad so she got out of that eventually and now she's the happiest person ever she's like you got to do what makes you happy you have to be comfortable in your own body. If you're comfortable in your own body, you will look beautiful. So ever since then, actually, it's even helped me more. So you might at first come across things like in the mirror and not like what you see, and it might trigger things here and there to make you feel worse about yourself. I feel like you're going to meet people or see things that's going to help you along as well and change your mind a little bit. So that's my message out to other people as well is you have to be comfortable in your own body because not everybody is alike and work on being you. Work on being your best version and occupy your mind and just be happy. Don't worry about what others think. It's not what's important. What's important is just your happiness. Mm. You've spoken already about the tools and methods you've used to improve your mental health. So I want to ask you, you've got two questions left, Ashley. What is the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health related, but it doesn't exclusively have to be. Uh, <laughs> mental health, I've read a few books, actually. So there's one by Dillian Caveau. I don't know if you know who Dillian Caveau is. He wrote a book on the power of authority, basically the political system within our nation here of what's going on. Also, I've read a first edition book on Outlander. It's more of a romance novel. <laughs> <laughs> I've also read, or in the process of reading, Donald Trump Jr.'s book. He's got one right now. I just started briefly going through it because I'm kind of big into politics. So it kind of helps me mentally, too, that honestly, the truth in our own society where what we see on TV or in the newspapers or in the books is not necessarily everything that's going on in the background. Now, with my military experience, I've kind of learned that. You never really watch the news that much when you're in the military just because you know what's already going on. So I've always had a tendency now when I watch episodes of what, from Buck Angel or Blair White and I see how people are messaging them or saying things on their podcasts or whatnot, I'll sit there and I will read that, but I'm also the person where, well, I'm going to do my research on those people now and see their reasoning behind what they're saying. And the reason is because mentally that helps me understand the other side of what people are thinking and where they're coming from. So that way I get both sides of the spectrum here. Like, okay, well, there's my side and this is what I believe in. And while well, there's your side, and why is it what you're saying is what you're believing in. So yeah, that's kind of where I come from as far as reading books by Dillian Cavove, Don Jr., and a little bit of a romance novel on the side. <laughs> you always need some enjoyment as well as politics, eh? <laughs> yes, yeah. I Well, politics is my enjoyment. Oh, there you though, go. Mostly, but, um... <laughs> and as a final question, Ashley, 
what more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds or walks of life feel comfortable, feel safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? If they really want to do it as far as transitioning, you have to go seek medical attention. That's my number one thing. I will never give up on saying that. I will never give up on pushing that. If you are thinking about it, feeling it every single day of your life, and no matter what you're doing to try to suppress that, then yeah, it's very possible that you are. But to seek medical attention, to see a psychologist, um, to reassure that, it doesn't mean that you're a crazy person or something's completely wrong with you. Being transgender or transsexual doesn't mean like, oh, I don't even know what the proper term is for that. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're going to go off and do some crazy stuff. It just means that you're transgender or you're transsexual um, and you feel different from your biological sex. And that it's best is to seek medical attention to reassure that. And that way, when you do start your transition, if that is what that is for you, you're going to have a better time going through that. So if you're feeling it, if you're thinking it, seek medical attention. And it's okay that you're feeling that way. And if the parents are listening, please accept your child. Do not push them away because that is the worst thing on this planet that you could ever do. If anything, the best thing to do is to listen, to try to talk to them, yes, and then eventually seek medical attention with them. I know that parents can't always be in that conversation between a therapist and a child. If they're under the age of 18, they might be able to, but you really need to sit down and listen to them because there's some really, really deep down emotions and feelings that the children are feeling and really embedded into their head as well that a parent might not understand. But if you sit and you just listen, it will come out. They will come out to you. I know that there's behaviors that children give off that they feel like they're the opposite sex, that parents might not understand why their children are acting the way they are. But again, you might have to have them seek medical attention for that. And on that note, Ashley Bell, thank you so much for coming on the Just Checking In podcast and talking to me. Thank you. And thank you for having me on here. God bless you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Just Check In podcast. I want to say a massive thank you to Ashley for being my special guest for this episode and for letting me check in with her. I'll put some links to where you can follow Ashley on social media, on Instagram, and find out more about her journey in the show notes. I'll sign us off by saying, if you've liked this episode, please give it a share on social media, guys. Tell your friends, tell your work colleagues, tell your family about it. Write us a review or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and help us spread the word about the podcast to other people with those algorithms. If you like what we're doing here at Vent and want to support us further, please consider supporting our Patreon. That's at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk or you can visit our GoFundMe if you want to make a one-off donation. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent.